Good morning. First Samuel chapter 21. Thank you for the intro, Dave. It's not George here today, and I'm not speaking on 1 Samuel 23. I about had a heart attack when you said 23. I thought we could have George come speak on 23. I could give him the heart attack today and just pass the blessing along. 1 Samuel um, 21 and 22, and then we'll be looking at Psalm 57 as well. Um, while you're turning there, um, I've heard a lot of talk today about an event that can't be named tonight, so um, come on out to the party tonight. Um, I know the gospel will be given, and um, I can't predict the winner. The Rennes boys have tried to get me to predict who's going to win tonight, but I did want you to think back. Think back to um, 2021, the Los Angeles Rams. Um, if you're not a football fan, that's okay. I'll fill you in. The Los Angeles Rams were 12-5 um, and five that year. They won 12 of their their games, and they won their division, um, the NFC West. They had four Pro Bowl selections, three All-Pro players, and they won the Super Bowl in exciting fashion, 23-20. to 20. Um, I remember watching that game here with some of you all. They were at the, the pinnacle, the peak. Last year, they were about as high as you can get in the football world. Now, this season, 2022, the Los Angeles Rams finished the season, and they flipped their record. They were 5-12. and 12. They only won five games this year. They lost as many games as they won last year. They finished third in the NFC West. This is their first losing season since 2016. They eclipsed the Denver Broncos for most losses by a defending Super Bowl team. They didn't make the playoffs, and they were considered a joke for the second half of the season. Um, the talking heads wondered, how, how in the world is this possible? How could you fall so far so fast? Uh, many of you were here three weeks ago. 21 days ago, we were sitting right here, and we were talking um, about David and Goliath. Tony was sharing with us. We talked about how um, David slayed a giant, how he trusted in God, how he was a man after God's own heart, how a promise was given. And today, we're going to see that that same man, David, is now fleeing to Gath. He's going to a godless place to seek refuge. We're going to see lies. We're going to see deceit. We're going to see fear, sin, and deadly consequences to that sin. And the question arises, how could David fall so far so fast? Um, you know, another question I would say is um, maybe a better question. How did David return after that? How did he return to being a man after God's own heart? And, and I'm sure many of you here could empathize. Um, those of you who have been walking with Christ have maybe had moments in your life when you've backslidden or you've fallen. Um, I'm sure we all know someone who maybe is in that spot right now. Um, the, the title for today's message is David Flees to Gath and the Consequences, but if I was going to leave you with one thought, if you only were to take one thing away from today's message, it would be this. Cling to the promises of God. Cling to the promises of God. I hope you're at... Um, 1 Samuel 21 in your Bible. It's going to be a little bit of reading today, 38 verses I'd like to read, and it really does read best if you read it as a story. I, I was kind of debating if we should split it up and go, but um, I think it'll be good to hear the story and then make some observations after. I know it'll be um, a little chunk here of, of just reading through the word, but listen like a child. Um, when, when I was young, my brother Sebastian and I shared a room, our parents would put tapes in for us to listen to Bible stories before bed, and it was just someone reading, and I, I remember this story, actually. I remember you'd hear David and Goliath, we'd always go to that one, and then you'd, maybe you guys remember, you flip the tape. You guys ever flip the tape? 
we'd flip the tape and then you'd get, you'd get here pretty quick. And so I remember hearing this, listen, maybe like a child for the first time if you've never heard this. It's a great, um, great account of a man of God who's fallen and then, and then how the Lord restores him. Um, 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Now David came to Nob to Elimelech the priest. And, and if you remember last week where we finished up, David is fleeing for his life. Do you remember um, George sharing about how um, Jonathan is trying to give him um, the warning and he's getting away from Saul. Saul's going crazy, trying to kill him. And so here we have David fleeing. He flees to this place called Nob and there's a priest there, Ahimelech. And Elimelech was afraid when he met David. He said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? See, the priest suspects something is up. David said to Elimelech, um, you could also put there, David lied to Elimelech the priest. The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I've commanded you. I've directed my young men to such and such a place. So therefore, what you have on hand, give it to me. Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand. There is holy bread if the young man have at least kept themselves from women. Verse five, David answered the priest and said to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy. The bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread for there was no bread there, but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on that day when it was taken away. Verse seven, now a certain man of the servant of Saul was there that day and he was detained before the Lord and his name was Doag the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. David said to Elimelech, this is the priest, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. There's the second lie Um, I don't know in verse 5 if David was lying about the young men being kept from women, but I do know he's lying here again in verse 8. Verse 9, the priest said, The sword of Goliath and the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, it's wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If, If you'll take it, you can take it, for there is no other except that one. David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretending to be mad. He scratched on the doors of their gate and let the saliva fall down his beard. Then Achish said to his servant, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought into my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Next week, George will be looking at the first five verses in 22, but let's skip down to 22.6 now. Um, We're going to pick back up here. Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah, under the tamarack tree in Ramah, and his spear was in his hand, and his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites. Uh, if you remember from a few weeks ago, Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. So I imagine he's sitting there with his, his cousins, his brothers, his family, people who know him. He says, Listen here, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you the fields and the vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? 
All of you have conspired against me. There is no one who reveals me, reveres me, excuse me, and my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me. Go down to verse 9 now. We see they then answered Doag, this, this Edomite who was there prior, who was there and heard David's lies, heard David talking to the priest. Verse 10, uh, he says, end of nine, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Elimelech, the son of Etuab, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Elimelech, the priest, the son of Etub, and all his father's house and the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, here now, son of Etub, and he answered, here I am, my Lord. So Saul is now questioning that same priest that talked to David. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Elimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Isn't he the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him, far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to this servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. Listen to Saul's response here. The king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, maybe these were Benjamites too, his brothers, his cousins, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand is also with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king said to Doag, you turn and kill the priests. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men, women, children, and nursing infants. Oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now the son of Elimelech, the son of a tube named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abiathar, I know that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life and your life, but be with me and we shall be safe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the recording of this, this um, account when, when David fled and, and the lies he told. Thank you for putting that in your word to show us truth. Lord, we can see truth in the stumblings of fallible men. We know that um, we need to see the Lord Jesus in the text today. We know that the Lord Jesus is, is um, a better king. He's a better judge. He's a better savior. He's a better prophet, a better priest than any we've read about today. So we would just ask that we would see him clearly this morning and would just ask that as we, as we open your word, we would draw close to you for the next little while because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, quick summary. Um, David goes down to the priest and he lies. He lies about fleeing. Um, he lies about his purpose and he takes the bread. Um, what does this mean? This would be the bread that the people donated um, their money to the priest, and then the priest could buy um, holy bread. They could do sacrifices. It would be like someone coming in here and saying, I, I know, I just need some money. Let me grab a little bit out of the tithe bag there, and, and I'll take that for, for my needs, and, and lying about the intentions of it. Um, what's interesting then is he sees the sword. Um, he, he takes the sword. He has some faith that this sword will help him, Goliath's old sword. 
and he runs down to Gath. And, and if you were reading this as maybe an unbeliever, or uh, if you were reading this maybe as just a mile-high view, as maybe a historian, you'd say, man, David's a really smart guy. I mean, he tricked the priest to get what he needed. That's great. He, uh, he tricked the, the people down in Gath. I mean, they, they really were probably going to kill him if they thought he was really the king and they thought that they could get back at Israel. I mean, remember, this is the guy that killed their champion. But he acted insane, and so, wow, way to go, David. You dodged, you dodged a bullet twice here. But what we see here is something very different. You see, in, in olden times, and, and I think David knew this, if you acted insane, people assumed you were touched by a god or cursed by a god, so they didn't want anything to do with you. So David said, I'll just, I'll just act like something I'm not and hopefully avoid what's going on. Now this all gets back to Saul. And Saul is just in a rage. He's, he's not thinking straight. The, the Spirit of God has left him, it says in a couple places. What a, what a scary thing to say that the Spirit of God has left someone. And there's that man there, Doag. He's the Edomite, and he's, um, he's really not out for any good except probably trying to kiss up to Saul a little bit. So he shares what happens, and then he ends up killing 85 priests of God. 85 priests. It's a whole family. It's a whole family of people. And then the town they lived in, he killed... I, um, I don't know how many people are in the town, but it does make special mention of the families. It says that there were nursing babies, young babies there who were killed. Just puts them to the edge of the sword. The very last verse we read, um, David realizes that it's a result of his sin. He takes responsibility for what happens. And we're going to look at Psalm 57 today. If you've never studied Psalm 57, it's a great chapter. We'll see actually a little piece of David's mind on the other side of this. We get to see how the Lord brought David out from this very low place. But um, I just want to share really five thoughts with you today. Um, next week, George is going to take that, that portion of scripture that we skipped, and then actually Colin will be coming again um, later on and sharing of David's second trip down to Gath. But today, if, if we could just look at five things, I want to look at David's struggle. I want to look at David's sin. We're going to look at David's song. We'll look at David's source, the source of his joy, the source of his hope, and we'll look at David's savior. So we're going to see his struggle, his sin, his song, his source, and his savior. Let's start um, with David's struggle. How did all of this start? Why are we here? What happened? You know, it's easy to really paint David in a bad light. I mean, you can just, just dog on the guy. Like, what is he doing? He has a promise of God and he's doing what? But can you imagine the pressure he was under? I mean, people plotting to kill him. He couldn't be with his family fleeing. He has all this pressure around him, and the pressure led to doubting. The pressure led to doubting. Part of David's struggle is doubting. And, and I do want to make a distinction here. We're going to talk about David's struggle and then David's sin. Um, struggling is not in and of itself a sin. There's times all of us struggle. There's times maybe we struggle with the promises of God. There, there's times maybe we struggle with believing. Um, there's times maybe we struggle with our faith, with those around us. But where does that struggle lead us? Uh, Mark 9, 21 and 24 talks about the man who wanted um, Jesus to heal. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's a man who was struggling. But what did David do with his struggle? What did David do with the struggle? Verse 21, the, the very first read-through read I did of this when, when Dennis texted me as, as I was scanning through, um, verse 12, 1 Samuel 21, 12, did you, did you catch this? 
the people of the land are talking about David's feats and not in a good way. It's kind of saying maybe we caught a good one here. Maybe we can kill us a, a hero. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. He took to heart what was happening around him. He took to heart the things that the people were saying and it led to the doubting of God's promises. You know, what's interesting here is the unbelieving Philistine Gentiles recognized the promise of God when they said David was king. You know, people talk. People talk, don't they? You should nod a little bit. I mean, you guys know. Come on, people talk. People say things. Have you heard so-and-so? Have you heard this? Have you heard about that young boy, that young shepherd from Israel? And that word had spread around and there was a recognition that there was something different about this one, but David didn't see it. He didn't see it in himself anymore. This doubting led um, to David, I believe, um, and, and we don't have time to look at all the verses today, but there's other scripture that talks about what David must have been going through here, other Psalms, and I think it led to David deconstructing a little bit. Deconstructing. Man, that's a word that'll kind of make you feel a little uneasy. What does deconstructing mean? We see in David's struggle here, doubting, which leads to deconstructing. Um, I like to think of it this way. Um, sometimes you deconstruct something to see how it works, to learn something about it, right? Um, it's no secret in my family. I'm, I have a lot of siblings, and I am by far and away the worst speller in my family, by a lot. Um, man, I remember sitting in the UNI College of Business, and I couldn't get my U and my I right in business. And then wait till you get to finance class. How do you put the I and the N? And, and man, I struggled. And so... Um, my parents, I was homeschooled, used to give me little tricks to try to remember words, right? They'd say, I before E, except after D, or, no, just kidding. Um, and then they'd, you know, never fry your friends or your friendships will end, or um, dessert is twice as good as desert. And they, you know, give me all these little things to say. And um, sometimes I would deconstruct those sayings to try to understand what was going on. But there is a very uh, wicked side of me that wanted to deconstruct their sayings to prove that it wasn't true that it didn't work. Well, is dessert really twice as good as a desert? Because look at how big the desert is, and I don't actually know if I believe that, and never fry your friends. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. And, and I deconstructing to show that what was being said is wrong. It's an attitude of, of, can I really believe what's going on here? And friend, I would just tell you today, if, if you're struggling with the Lord, if you're deconstructing some of your beliefs, look for truth. Don't deconstruct just to look for faults. Are you looking for truth? I don't know if David was seeing any truth right now. He's, he's spewing lies. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember this whole study on David, we're looking at the heart. I don't think it's a far step to say that because David is spewing lies here, he's probably believing lies in his heart. You know, they say, depending on the study, you know, 50 to 70% of high school students will claim to denounce the faith when they, when they get to college. That doesn't just start in college. What's the heart doing? What's the heart doing before then? What are you believing? So David had this doubting. He had this deconstructing. And, and his deconstructing led him to going to a godless kingdom. It's like he thought he would find safety there. Well, I'll get away from Saul. I know I'm going to go somewhere else that's bad, but at least this might be better. And it actually led David to a place of danger. This struggle that he was in started with some doubting and then we see some deconstructing and, and then it gets, it gets very dangerous. And, and there's a physical danger that David has, very physical, real danger. But there's always in our lives a spiritual danger when we flee from where God wants us to be. 
I was talking with a brother and it was just saying, it seems like David struggles in his life. A lot of it happens when he's not in the right place. He's not where he's supposed to be. You cannot do the things that God wants you to do if you are not in the place that God wants you to be. You can't be the person that God wants you to be if you're not in the place that God wants you to be. Where does God want you to go with your struggles? Where did God want David to go with his struggles? Where should you go when you're having doubts and these deconstructing thoughts and you're in a dangerous place? Go to God's word. Go to God's word. Cling to the promises of God. You know, David really only had one promise of God at this point in his life. And he's being tested. He's being tested right now and he's struggling. And we see that David's going to have to learn if he really believes what he believes. David was struggling. And unfortunately, David's struggle led to sin. David's sin. Three lies we see here in the, in the text. Three lies. Uh, William MacDonald quotes Shakespeare in his commentary. He says, What a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Starts to get really complicated, right? When you start lying, it starts to, you think, well, just one little lie. And, and uh, what's the lie you believe when you sin? What's the lie I believe when I sin? It's usually that this isn't going to hurt anyone except me. There's pressure all around. It's a, it, it's different this time. I mean, this situation's different. How many of you have heard that? This situation, or my situation's different. It's just different, and there's a lot of pressure, and so it's okay. One little lie, one little lie, and, and you know what's interesting? The Lord Jesus talks about David taking the bread, and he actually goes to say that taking the bread wasn't actually like a very horrible, godless thing to do. Bread was sustaining, and he talks about how the Sabbath was made for man, and man for the Sabbath, the whole discussion. But you know what was the, the problem was not that he ate the bread. The problem was how he lied to the priest. He lied to him. He told him falsehood. Proverbs 12 and 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Uh, David's son wrote that, Solomon. I wonder where Solomon learned that. You think it's possible David sat down with him and talked to him about the, the horrible, horrible things that come from lying? No, no way I don't think David could have imagined that 85 priests would die and then children. I mean, maybe it was the size of this room here, this many people that were killed because of the result of a lie. David lied a second time. Remember, the, the priest is giving him the bread and then he says, I need a sword. David deceived the priests twice and then he deceived the Philistines as well. Pretending to be a madman was not how a king of God should have been acting. He was deceiving the Philistines. And finally, I would say that David was deceiving himself. David was deceiving himself. Notice 21 verse 9. The priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there's no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. A lot of the commentators agree this is putting a lot of trust in a sword, in a weapon. Now, we, we finished the story, right? It's not like that sword saved him. It's not like he came running out when the priests were getting killed and, and walloped everyone's head off with the sword. You wonder, David, you, you, you remember that sword, right? And that was what Goliath carried in. You don't see David with his sling here. You don't see David trusting God here. You see David thinking, maybe that, maybe that sword, 
That'll be what will get me through. Um, a couple, about a month ago now, I was, I was uh, sharing with Prayer Breakfast, and we were talking about the importance of having people in our life to see our blind spots, to encourage us, to exhort us when things are hard. And I texted out a bunch of different brothers to ask their perspectives on it. And it's been fun, actually. Uh, you know, you all have those friends who respond, like, right away when you text them. I'm that person. I got to respond right away. You probably have that guy that responds, like, a month later, too, right? You know, they leave you on red, and they, well, I'll get back to that. Well, I've been getting some of those f- f- filtering through, and it was, it was really good. A, a brother said to me this week, and I love the way he said it, so I'm just going to quote it. He said, it's not only the sinner that is affected by his sinning. Family, friends, neighbors, the church will all be affected by our wandering. It's not just the sinner who's affected. Public sin, private sin, kills. It eats away. Those of us who are in fellowship here, we have a a duty to um, make short accounts with God. Don't keep sin in our lives. Sin kills. David had this struggle and there was doubting. There was, there was um, probably a lot of things going on. We probably can't even grasp. I've never had that much stress or pressure in my life. I can't imagine. I don't, I don't just want to point the finger of blame, but unfortunately that led him to a place of sin and there's no exception for sin. There's no excuse. He deceived the priests. Three times he lied. He deceived the Philistines and, and he was ultimately deceiving himself. You know, and I would ask, can we blame him? Do you think we would have chosen any different? It's really easy to insert ourselves into stories and think, well, you know, I I would have done better. I I can't imagine the pressure he was under, but I want to look at Psalm 57. I want to look at David's song. We saw David struggle. We saw David sin, and then Psalm 57 is written as David's um, remembering and recollecting what has happened. I'd like to read it from the ESV. I love the way it's, it's uh, laid out here in the ESV. Psalm 57, and the, the notes here, to the choir master according um, to, the do not dis- to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Verse one, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions I lie down amid the fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's probably thinking here, I mean, the things Saul is saying about him are just cutting like a sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way but they have fallen into it themselves. Verse seven, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, 
I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is a song of David. You know, I wonder if David knew when he was writing this that we'd be studying this here thousands of years later. The theme that I see here in this psalm of David is someone who is clinging to the promises of God. Remember that. If you're going to remember one thing, cling to the promise of God. Each one of you here who's a believer, you have promises of God that you know, but I would ask you, do you, do you really know? I mean, how do you know? If you've talked to someone who's walked with the Lord many years, I think of um, our brother Ed and Shirley was talking with them. Ed and Shirley have seen the promises of God faithfully in their lives through hardship even, right, Ed? I mean, there's been some hard times. Um, I was thinking of an illustration that would help me think of, of, of this kind of thought of having to know God through hardship. And I was thinking of skydiving. Any of you guys ever jumped out of a plane? Any skydivers here? Ray and Nancy, I've seen the video. It's incredible. You should watch it. The cheeks are flapping in the wind. And Donna's making a face. She said, they're crazy. <laughs> Skydiving's a crazy thing, man. You know, you're signing your life away before you go up. You're like, okay, I'm not going to sue. My great, great grandbabies aren't going to sue. And um, yes, I know that this is a chance of death. It's like, duh, okay. You go through and then you get up there and in your mind you say, hey, I, I trust that this parachute's going to hold me. I mean, if you didn't trust that, you wouldn't jump out of the plane. And if you ask me on the ride up, do I trust the parachute's going to hold me? Yeah, I trust it. But there's nothing like hitting your feet on the ground when that parachute came out and saying, that thing held me. That was, that was the real deal. I mean, you can't fake that. Either that thing blows up and holds you secure or it doesn't and it's game over. You don't get a lot of take twos on skydiving, right? Got to get it right. <laughs> you got to get it right. And you learn a certain level about something when you go through some hardship and you have to trust it. David had to become the person that God wanted him to be. He was going to become the king of Israel. He was going to do incredible things for the Lord. He had to learn to trust God's promise. And he had to learn that through hardship. You know, you could say a lot of the hardship in this story David brought upon himself. But David still had the opportunity to trust God through this hardship. And he learned things about God through hardship. Look at, um, we're going to kind of go in reverse order here, but look at verses 7 and 8. It says, his heart was steadfast. My heart is steadfast, O God. God, my heart is steadfast. David is telling his heart where to go, what to believe. You know, if, if you're struggling with doubting, um, deconstructing, sin, um, struggles, whatever it is, don't look to your heart for your answers. Don't do it. It will lead you astray. The heart is, Bob Sr. always says, the heart is what, Bob? Desperately wicked, deceitful. That's what your heart is. How was David a man after God's own heart? Let's debunk a myth here today. David was not a man after God's own heart because David had the greatest heart ever. It wasn't like David was born and God was making David, and he's like, I want to give this guy the best heart. His will be better than everyone else's. There was a person who was born like that. His name was the Lord Jesus. But David did not have a special heart that was pre-programmed to make all the right decisions and do all the right things. David chose where his heart was going to go. David told his heart, you will remain steadfast to God. 
Have you made that choice today? Is your heart steadfast to God? You have a choice to tell your heart where to go. David says, my heart is steadfast, O God. Look at verse nine. Verse nine says, I will give thanks to the Lord among all the people. I will sing praise to you among the nations. David was commanding his heart to worship the Lord even at a low point in his life like he had never experienced. His heart was steadfast and his hope was sure. God had not changed. The promise had not changed. God is steadfast. Look at verses 10 and 11. I love this. Um, Kind of the 9, 10, and 11 you see, um, sorry, end of 7, start of 9, middle of 9. You see, at least in the ESV, three I will statements. I will sing and make melody. Verse 9, I will give thanks to the Lord. Call it 9b. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And then 10 and 11, for your steadfast love is great in the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds be exalted, O God. Just an outpouring of worship. Three times David lied. Remember David lied twice to the priest and and once to the Philistines. And I'll, I'll say at least three times. There could have been more, but we see three recorded lies. And then three times David says, no, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will sing and make praises. Can't help but think of Peter, right? Three times Peter denied Christ and then the tenderness and compassion of our Savior to to sit with one who had betrayed him and ask him if he really loved him. This is a pivotal moment in David's development. This is a pivotal moment in in his walk as he's learning to trust God. I wish I could stand here and say this was, uh, this was the last time David sinned. And, and everyone lived happily ever after. No hardships came after this. It was smooth sailing from here on out. And that's just not true. There was more hardships ahead, but David learns a valuable lesson here. Cling to the promise of God. Cling to the promise of God. I remember talking to um, a young person that had some really hard things happen in their life. And they said, I just don't feel like God's word is true. And I've heard people just, you know, just rag on someone. How could you say, you know, and it's like, you know, that, they were being honest. They were just being honest. It didn't feel like God's word was true. Things felt really, really bad. Brother and sister, today I praise God that God's word is not just true when we feel like it's true. God's word is true all of the time. All of the time. Listen to verse 10. Your faithfulness is to the clouds. The truth of God's word is not dependent on my circumstances, on my emotions. Praise God, it's not dependent on me keeping my struggles at bay. It's not dependent on me keeping the doubts at bay. My faith is secure in the promises of God. My faith is secure in the promises of God. So we've seen um, David's struggle. We've seen his sin. We just looked at David's song, um, Psalm 57. I'd like to look at David's source. Where is the source of David's joy? Let's look back at the first part of that psalm. Where does David have a source of so much joy? Um, you, you notice this in the world when you see people who are you know, just a little bit too happy early in the morning. You say, what, what's gotten into them? And they're just a little too happy. Just a little bit too uh, cheery and bright. We've got uh, morning Bible study on Fridays at Caleb. Man, uh, Brian Stevenson, he's a little too happy in the morning sometimes. It's like, Brian, you've been up since three, man. You're just, uh, just a big smile. I mean, something wrong. We're looking for that. Where's the source? Where's the source of that joy? Where's the source of your hope? Verses one and two, Psalm 57. 
David recognizes who God is. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. And then verse two, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. There's a recognition there that the source does not come from within. It does not come from David's heart. It doesn't come from his surroundings. It comes from the most high God. Is God the source of your joy? Is he the source of your hope? Verse three and four, David recognizes that his help is from above. He will send from heaven and save me. David recognizes his surrounding. He talks about his soul being in the midst of lions and he recognizes all those things. But five and six, he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Even though they set a net for my steps, my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit for me, but they have fallen into it themselves. He said, no, it doesn't. It's going on around me. It doesn't change the promises of God. You know, after all this, you would think, man, how is David a man after God's own heart? There's, there's going to be times, again, you'll ask that question as we go through this study. And 1 Samuel 13, 14 says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I believe that David really was a man after God's own heart because he never stopped clinging to the promise of God. If, um, if David was here this morning, he's not. David's been dead for thousands of years. But if he was here this morning, I think he'd want me to tell you about his Savior. David would want me to tell you about his Savior. We've seen David's struggle. We've seen his sin. We've seen his song. We've seen the source of it all comes from, from above. Do you know David's Savior? You know, the Lord Jesus hadn't come yet. David is, is in the long list of lineage, all pointing toward the Lord Jesus. But David was saved out of the hands of Philistines, out of the hands of Saul. As we continue on, you'll see him saved um, from his son, saved from his enemy. David had a living Savior. You know, David loved his Savior so much. He wrote 73 Psalms, 73 chapters. All of them mention God, mention his Savior. You know, the same one who delivered David has delivered this world. You know, the Lord Jesus came and delivered us from a struggle um, far greater than some lies. He delivered us from a struggle that um, if you take the accumulation of all of our sins, that's what he had to deliver us from. The Lord Jesus came and delivered us from um, doubts. The Lord Jesus is my savior. Is he yours? Do you know him? Do you know his promises? Do you know that the Lord Jesus promised if you believe on him and repent of your sins, you can have eternal life? Do you believe that promise? If you're a believer here today, that promise should cause you to rejoice. The, the simple verse we, we memorized as kids, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Will you cling to that promise of God? If you're here today and you're not a believer, will you choose to believe that today? Will you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus? David had one promise that he would be king. He clung to that. And we'll see um, as we go on in this study that God makes true on his word. God cannot lie. God will always tell the truth. Do you believe he's telling the truth about your eternal state, about your security? Is God's grace sufficient for you, the promise of God's grace? Will you cling to that promise? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for 
um, the, the truth that we see in it. I would just ask as we um, even go into this next time of discussion of the annual meeting and, and so many things to discuss, would we cling to your promises even as we look to, to years ahead? Um, thank you that your word is unchanging, that you are true, that our struggles do not um, cause any, any part of you to be untrue. Would we learn from the example of David? We know these were written down for our benefit, that we could learn from them. Would we learn and walk closely with you this week that we would say we can cling to the promises of God? We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.